the kingdom of heaven has arrived because Jesus has arrived. Okay. He he is the king of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And and he's now inviting us to be a part of this kingdom that transcends all kingdoms for all history, for all mankind. He's going, this kingdom is forever. This is an eternal kingdom. You get to be a part of it. And you're ambassadors of this kingdom now into this world that lives totally opposite of some of the things I'm about to say. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Loving God, Loving People podcast. My name's Robert, sitting here with Chad. And let's talk about changing the world. Why not? Why not? There are moments in history. Hey, I think ahead. we can all agree the world needs some some change. Yes, it does. Yeah, I was reading some stuff this morning. I started my morning uh, out with uh, my wife's from Scotland, so a cup of tea. And I was reading the paper and rolling my eyes. Yeah. No, it sounded, it sounded like a great start to the morning when you said you had your cup of tea early outside. She makes awesome tea. But then you threw in the newspaper, and that just threw a wrench in that whole peaceful setting of, of the morning. She's literally, I read it on my iPad, but she's literally looking over at me, watching me go, ah. <laughs> she's like, what? And I'm like, don't worry about it. You know. All right. Just out of curiosity, what were the... Uh... No, we're letting that go. Oh, we're not going to we're not not gonna gonna go, go that deep today. into the weeds? I'm getting enough fan mail lately without adding that. All right. We'll just keep that a secret. All right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the world needs world needs change. Um, it's fascinating. So I started looking back through history, and going, what were some of the world changing moments? And and typically, not not always. Sometimes it's just new technology, whatever starts to transform the world. But sometimes there's these moments where uh, there, there's some great speech given. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, a leader, whether they they're the ones actually leading or they're symbolically leading some kind of a, a change in culture, a change in history. So I started thinking through, okay, what, what is it about those speeches that if I were to quote some of them, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Abraham Lincoln said that. Well, as soon as you said that, I'm hearing Churchill in my mind. We will fight upon the land. We will yes. fight upon the yep. sea. Yeah. Never, never surrender. surrender. Yes. Never. Exactly. Never. Yeah. It's, it, and, and they're just these iconic moments. But Did you like that impersonation, by the way? It was really good. Was little, People are going to wonder close. if we had a voice actor. On the podcast. No, that was actually Chad. All me. No gravel gravel in that impersonation. (laughs) No, it's such a great speech. But but you have these moments in history uh, and these speeches that uh, encompass a new idea or or inspire a new way of living, some kind of change in how we operate day to day um, and and changes history, changes culture. And and one of, uh, I I did the search on what are the greatest speeches Mm. in all of history Mm. and and. 35 different speeches came up, and it's everything from Socrates. Did your own name show up? I looked real carefully. I didn't see it on there, but I think they just, you know, they haven't gotten around to listening to the podcast it's, yet. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. So greatest speeches of all time. Greatest speeches. I mean, you have some from like, you know, unexamined life, not worth living, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in there, I noticed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this is written from somebody who's not a not a believer, and uh, and it just talks about the greatest speeches in history, and it and it quotes. What what number was Jesus on the list? Thirty four out of thirty five. Out of thirty five. All right. Well, well, then I then I started looking at it, and I went, I totally disagree with this. <laughs> this is one. I'm. It's fascinating that it made it onto the list mm-hmm. uh, for somebody who's not a believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had to acknowledge there's there's no other speech than this one that's given by Jesus that's been more studied, more examined, uh, transformed history. 
the way that, that this speech. Was there any other speech that was given 2000 years ago that was on the list? No, there was a couple things, you know, from that time period. And it was more like writings. And it was just like a really good line, like okay. a one sentence. Well, there you go. But some of them were so obscure. You'd be like, oh yeah, he said that. Or, you know, it, so, so they're kind of uh, more obscure, but we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, he, he gives us the golden rule, which now every kindergartner yeah. on the planet learns this golden rule. Well, this was a new idea at, at the time that Jesus gives this. Jesus teaches us this prayer that now, I mean, people pray it in foxholes, in cathedrals, billions of people around the world. Uh, they, they pray it on their deathbeds. They pray it around the dining room table. Our Father who art in heaven, that's right. that would be your name. Yeah. That's right. In locker rooms before we go, you know, beat I the snot out of the other football team or whatever. Like, I did that. Uh, let's kneel, yep. let's pray. Holding my football helmet. And, and these are just a couple things. I mean, what he taught was revolutionary. But when I, when I study his speech, the reason I think it doesn't make it is it doesn't fit the mold of all the other speeches. Mm. It's so countercultural counterintuitive where he starts out going, Hey, blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the <laughs> humble, like everybody else is like, Hey, let's rally and let's just destroy our enemy. Like, let's, let's fight this thing. And he's right. like, Hey guys, let's run and you will live. And many years <laughs> from now, what would you give? So you don't, you don't know what I'm planning on saying this weekend, but I'm quoting that as well. Are you quoting Braveheart? I just watched Braveheart with my boys. Nice. And uh, so I'm going through all the DVDs that I've had just collecting dust going, I need to show these to my kids. Like, what are the great movies that I've had from, you know, high school and college that my kids need to see? So he's showing your kids Braveheart. Yep. So Brave, That's just good parenting Braveheart right made the list. And uh, Corbin gave it an 11 out of 10. And Gabe gave it a 9 out of 10. All right. And so I was like, a 9 out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> What'd your daughter give it? She didn't watch it. No, she's not okay. She's not in the, uh, just the, the, movie, the movie club thing yet. She's still a little young. All right. There's a couple times I had to have the boys close their eyes. So... Uh, so greatest speeches, they're yeah. inspirational. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of that football movie, Claw, with your fingernails for yes. that inch. Yes. Right? That's my, uh, well, we'll just move on. Yeah. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to make up stuff about you. They're going to lie about you. Just count it all joy. It's great. <laughs> and he says, yeah. you know, great is your reward in heaven. So, okay. Yeah. So we're a bunch of poor, meek, hungry, whatever, whatever, just waiting for an award in heaven. This is how he starts this speech. And again, it's it's unlike any other speech that's ever been given, but there's no other speech that's had the impact that this speech has. And then he paints this word picture and he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Mm. And, and he talks about the impact that he's kind of down and out, obscure, rural people that have gathered around him. And he's going... Do you guys realize how valuable you are to this planet? You guys are what preserves the planet. You guys are what shows the way. Because to get to the point of where we're going, uh, Jesus has kind of given a spoiler. You're going to represent me. Because everything in that list Jesus is describing, he he meets that description. Yeah. Um, Well, one of the things people, I think, misunderstand about that, uh, we're using the word speech. It's a sermon. Yep. But about that sermon, about that talk, about that speech— is that it? It is all one talk. Yes, I think people tend to separate it because they went. You know, the chapters and the verses weren't originally there. Yep. Uh, you know, that was added later so we could look things up. But but that's all one thought. Yep. With one kind of big idea. So just so we understand the impact of the talk and the speech, what's the one big idea? 
You're asking me? I'm asking you. The big idea is Jesus is saying the kingdom operates different than the world. Mm-hmm. Let, let me teach you how life works. Let me teach you how the kingdom of heaven works. And in that, let's bring heaven to earth. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn because he's there. Yeah. Yeah. He's now arrived. He's the blessed game changer. Blessed are the meek because he's there. The kingdom of heaven has arrived because Jesus has arrived. Okay. He, he is the king of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and he's now inviting us to be a part of this kingdom that transcends all kingdoms for all history, for all mankind. He's going, this kingdom is forever. This is an eternal kingdom. You get to be a part of it. And you're ambassadors of this kingdom now into this world that lives totally opposite of some of the things I'm about to say. So how are we then? I'll, I'll interview you right. on this podcast. We'll all just right. reverse it. How are we then as the salt of the earth and the, and the light of the world? How do we do that? Is that um, is that we vote a certain way? Is that we, uh, you know, stand on the street corner and let people know what the truth is? I mean, I'm I'm kind of setting you up here to spike it, but I, I, what does it mean when Jesus says, "Be the salt of the earth and the light of the world"? How do we do that? And what does that mean in the context of the actual sermon? Yeah, well, to to back up, so the context. Let's actually go a little back in time. All right. Uh, before we get to the sermon, Jesus is going around, and he's going around to these fishermen, and he's going around to these, you know, people in this rural area of Galilee, and he's saying, "Hey, I want you guys to follow me." I want you to drop your nets, stop what you're doing, whatever. I want you to to do this. Now, in this day and time, Jesus would be what they would call a rabbi, a teacher. uh, And those that would follow him, they were called the Talmudim. So you had a rabbi and you had their their apprentices. Mm -hmm. It's probably the best modern day word we have to describe what this is. And so Jesus is going around saying to everybody, come apprentice me. Come follow me. Come be with me. Uh, learn my ways. Learn my teachings. And then you're to go and live the way that I've taught you, the way I've modeled for you, as if I were you. That's what a Talmudim, uh, which is plural, that's what these apprentices would do. Go live your life in such a way that if I were living your life in your place, you're doing what I would be doing if I were you. That is correct. Yeah. So for uh, growing up in church, there was this this period in the, the 90s where uh, there was this kind of craze in the church world. And it was the, what would Jesus do craze? And Did there was, you wear the bracelet? I had a bracelet. I read the book. There's actually a book behind all of oh, that. All right. Uh, it started at a, at a church and there was a homeless guy that showed up at this church and everybody's like, we got to get this homeless guy out of here. And this pastor had this conviction of like, wait, we've studied Jesus. We've read, like, that's what we do in this place. What would Jesus do in this scenario? And it was, oh, he'd welcome this person in. Mm. And so he started this, you know, hey, what if we started thinking about things differently? Because church was very exclusive and you had to look and operate a certain way. Did you get a WWJD tattoo? No. Okay. I do have tattoos, but... But not that one. No, that one didn't make... I don't have any tattoos. You want to know why? Because you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari, friend. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) All right, keep going. If you, have, if you have tattoos, if you'd please send an email. Come on, Paul. That was a good one. Tell Chad why you're upset with him. His... My friend Paul's in here listening to this. Yeah. Um, But anyhow, that that idea is right on. But here's the challenge with what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus, when he had to get across a a lake, he'd walk across it. I can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) When Jesus, you know, he's he's doing things, I'm like, well, yeah, because he's Jesus. Like, there's, there's certain things that that doesn't totally work. But if you change it just a little bit and ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were you? 
it, it changes the answer completely. Because then that's a character question. That's right. It, it's a character question. It is a motive question. It is a what, what is the purpose of my life? What is the end game of, of what I'm accomplishing here? Um, and the only way to know that answer is to spend time with Jesus and to learn the ways of Jesus. So if you're a, if you're a stay-at-home parent and you're like, what would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do if you were a stay-at-home parent? Uh, if, if you're female, if he was a stay-at-home mom, what would Jesus do? Well, it's hard for me just to go, well, you need to do this and for me to prescribe. Uh, but when you spend time with Jesus, and, and we do that a myriad of different ways. When we spend time in his word, when we learn what he taught, um, when we spend time serving other people, because when we serve, we're, we're representing Jesus. Jesus is with us in the acts of service. The Bible teaches we're one body. He's the head. We're the, the limbs. And, and we, we actually, we're, we're working with Jesus when we serve people, when we spend time worshiping together. We're, we're with Jesus. When we're praying, come Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit maybe speaks through the whispers of, of those moments. Uh, we're spending time with Jesus, all these different contexts, we're, we're spending time, we're learning the ways of Jesus. And in that, it becomes easier and easier to now go, okay, in my current circumstance, which again, it's hard to prescribe because everybody's unique, right? Your story, your background, your influence, your whatever's going on in your world right now. Uh, but when you run it through that filter, now it becomes more clear in my circumstances with whatever it is I'm doing, whatever it is I, I'm going through, what would Jesus do if he were me? It becomes easier and easier to apply that. And the more we do that, the more we actually begin to represent Jesus. Well, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Correct. So it's really helpful to invite his leadership into your life because he will guide your steps in the way of Jesus because he's who guided Jesus's steps, right? Yep. Jesus gives us his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And, and he's with us. If you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is within you, is with you. But that's like me saying, I'm carrying around my, my phone, okay? I have my phone with me but I'm not engaged with it. It's a terrible analogy. But when I'm starting to engage with it, now it's a different level of with. Yeah. Uh, there are things we can do to engage with the Spirit of God, engage with Jesus, um, even gathering together. We talk about small groups. We talk around about sitting around and focusing on God's Word, real friendships, all of that. Uh, the Bible teaches Jesus is with us in those moments. Yeah. Um, and, and so all of these are different ways that we spend time with Jesus, that we apprentice under Him. And then... At the end of his sermon, because he said it's one sermon, he says, I told you all this stuff. And there's so much great stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I told you all this great stuff, but if you hear what I told you and do nothing with it, you're foolish. Yeah. You're, you're like the person who builds a house on sand. But if you hear what I've told you and you apply what I've taught, then you're like a wise man who's built his house on, on the rock. And when the storms come and when life happens and when chaos and all of that, it's going to stand firm because uh, you built your life application-wise on the, on the rock, you're representing Jesus. I think um, I, I said I was interviewing you, but now I'm the lead pastor, so I'm going to make a point. Bring it. Um, I think people misunderstand. So right now I'm talking to all the people who uh, go to church regularly. I think in the modern world, we, we misunderstand even the definition of discipleship. We've messed it up even in the church. We've made it uh, discipleship only means so I'm using the word only. It only means Bible study. It only mm -hmm. means I did a Beth Moore Bible study, or I read a book by Tim Keller, or I listened to a sermon by Robert Watson, and they only put it in the realm of knowledge. Information, yeah. Which, to your point, Jesus says, no, 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 it's not just about the knowledge. It's about how it's shaping and forming your character. Um, 
It's about the decisions you make all the time in your life. It's about the way you think, which affects the way you feel, which affects how you act. It's about who you, who you are. Uh, I mean, for thousands of years, a couple thousand, right? After Jesus, bulk of the population is illiterate. Yep. Well, you take our current definition of discipleship, that means nobody was doing anything yeah. with what Jesus said, They were right? doing their quiet times in the morning. They weren't studying whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's about our character. Um, and information plus application is, is the transformation. That's, that's where that comes from, which I think is your point. I'm just yeah. compressing it. Yeah. But, um, and then I would add, too, the, the context of, of relationships. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's how it that's how it shapes out because yeah. it's how I treat people. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Information plus application worked out in the context of relationship. Of a relationship is transformation. That's transformation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's that's well said. I just think if if, if you're thinking right now that discipleship is all about now, I I like Beth Moore. That's not my point. But if it's all about your Beth Moore Bible study or or whatever it is that you're doing, um, just know that all that is set up so that you can apply it because discipleship's about your character. Mm-hmm. I had so many conversations with even pastors or seminary professors, and we're talking about discipleship, and the name Jesus never even comes up. Yeah. It's all theology. It's all this pontification. Um, Debate around different, oh nuanced, whatever. Yeah, pick, pick, your, yep. pick your, you know... <laughs> dispensational theory, right, about the end of the world or the end of time. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Um, and there's no talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, I recently in the church, a guy was upset with me because he had this very clear idea of what a discipleship group is. And I'm like, yes, but you realize everything we do here at the church is about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus. When people come to marriage ministry, um, to get help with their marriage. That's discipleship. They're trying to figure out how do I, so I'll speak for me. How do I love my wife the way Jesus would if he were in my place? And how do I allow her to love me the way Jesus would if he were in my place? Marriage ministry is discipleship. Parenting ministry is discipleship. Financial peace is discipleship. How would Jesus manage his money if he were me living my life? Um, All of these things are in the realm of character and what does it mean to follow Jesus? And yet we all think discipleship is, you know, some theological, systematic, whatever. Um, it's much more practical uh, and frankly, simple than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so salt of the earth, light of the world. Yeah. And and when he says that, there, there is a bit of a, hey, you guys have a big responsibility. Uh, without you, salt loses its saltiness. What's the point? So it's, it's, there's no value in it anymore. Um, and without you at this time, salt's what kept food from going bad. They didn't have frigid air, whatever to, you know, keep their food cold and, and keep it from decaying. It was no salt was a really big deal. In fact, it was so valuable. People would be paid in salt. It's where we get salary from. And you just going, if you, if you're not representing, man, we get salary from the word salt. Yeah. That's good. Sal salary. If you aren't representing me in this world, the, the world's going to decay. It's going to get a whole lot worse. It's going to get a whole lot more chaotic. You're going to see all kinds. You know, it, it, if you don't represent me, how's the world going to find their way? Again, back in this time, you don't have electricity, you don't have light bulbs, you don't have all of that. So he goes, a city on a hill 
with whatever, you know, candles and all that and the windows and yada, yada, you're, you're lost on the road. Now you, now you find your way to safety. The city represented safety from animals, from burglars, all of that. Uh, the light's how you find the, the way. And Jesus is going, you represent me. You, you keep the earth from decay. You show the way. And, and you do that by representing me because Jesus ultimately is the way. Uh, but he's, he's called us, which is a really, you know, it's a, it's a huge responsibility to represent him in, in this world to our neighbors, to our friends, to people. And the way we do that, we spend time with Jesus. We learn the ways of Jesus. We're apprenticing and, and we do what he would do if he were us. So let's put this in context. So in the speech, the sermon, the talk, mm-hmm. pick your pick your word. In in the sermon, um, in the speech, Jesus says, "Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemy." Um, he he takes the standard of righteousness to a whole nother level. Um, it's not just don't commit adultery. It's it's don't lust. Mm-hmm. It's not just don't murder. It's, it's don't hate people in your heart. He takes it to a whole nother level. So he talks about the way of the kingdom. And then he says, and you're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. So how do we represent Jesus? We, we do the things that are in that, in that sermon. I, uh, I think a whole lot of our ideas about representing God have nothing to do with Jesus. Mm. I think a whole lot of our ideas about salt and light have to do with this uh, made-up version of Americanized, culturalized Christianity that are actually apart from the teachings of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you see that all the time. It's about the way you, you know... (laughs) It's, it's, it's about cursing the darkness. It's about uh, defeating your enemy with power. It's about out-arguing somebody on social media. It's about owning somebody, right? And yet Jesus gives this totally different, yeah. different way. And sometimes I wonder if we are where we are in society because we're using the tactics of the enemy instead of the battle plan of the Lord. Yep. But you know, it's, it's hard. easy to shift. It's oh, easy man. to go, okay, this well, got us to here, but I think what's going to get us there is let's do it our way again. Well, it's hard to bless those who persecute yeah. you. Yeah. It's hard to love your enemy. Um, frankly, it's impossible. Back to the Holy Spirit. He kind of has to do that in you and through you. Mm-hmm. Of course, the flip side of that is all of us who want to win go, well, yeah, you know, Jesus got crucified, right? Yeah. And yet it is in the dying that he won the ultimate victory. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, this just crossed my mind. We started with Winston Churchill, never surrender. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Surrender to me. Surrender everything. That's how you win. Yeah. 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 Well, we're out of time. But thanks for joining us for the podcast. Do you have any other closing thoughts, ideas uh, that you want to leave us with, Chad? Uh, yeah. Listen to Robert's sermon this weekend. If, <laughs> if you hadn't heard it already, it'll it'll help you. And I think the question is, uh, and it's the question we've tried to ask all the way through the series. Some people are even mad at me about this question, which you can't get any more biblical than the question I'm about to ask is what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be the Talmudim? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a student, an apprentice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's biblical. And in that, um, how does that affect every decision in your life? 
be a disciple. Because uh, the term Christian can mean a whole lot of different things. But when we specifically talk about being a disciple of Jesus, um, we're talking about something that's clear. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Loving God, Loving People podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this conversation, we'd love it if you rated the podcast and left us a review. Also, sharing this with a friend is a great way to help more people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And lastly, you are always welcome to join us online for one of our services every week at live.sv.cc or go to locations.sv.cc to join us in person at one of our physical locations. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.